Uh, why don't you turn to the person beside you and just ask them, have you ever doubted God, just even lately, doubted God, that he exists, that he loves you, that he, he actually could have done something for you? Have you, ever, have you ever doubted him? Turn and chat that, just ask that question. I'm going to pray for us as we start to, start to look at this passage. Pray, join with me in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, as we come to this passage, Lord, we know that you have given us your word so that we might know the truth, that it would be crystal clear to us, that those doubts that we have might be cleared up. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage tonight, that through your Holy Spirit you might speak to each one of us and that we might clearly be able to hear those things we need to hear. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, on the 4th of January, in the morning at about uh, half past five, six o'clock, I sat down to do my devotion. Now, that's just directly after New Year's weekend. But for me this year, uh, as I sat there, it had a bit more significance because I wasn't just thinking about the year before and the year after or the year to come. I, it was actually my 50th birthday. And so... I, there was no fanfare or anything, just me outside with the Bible and me starting to think about uh, what my life had been and what it might be. And as I sat there, I felt a voice come into my head. I've been in full-time ministry for like nearly 20 years and I'm now in part-time, half-time. Uh, but I sat there and thought to myself, what happens if it's not true? What happens if there isn't a God? What happens if I've completely wasted my life? And I'm sitting there as someone who's been a Christian for a very long time, having doubts about whether this is real or not. But last weekend, we were meant to preach this passage and I was meant to be looking at it, but we're looking at it now. And as I come to God's word and read, if I was to title this sermon in uh, any way, I would have quotation marks that would say, with God saying, let me be crystal clear. Because God doesn't want us to have doubts. He wants to be crystal clear. So let me start uh, the passage. And you, as we start this passage, you will see it. And I'm going to work through this passage. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please come along for the ride with me. This passage starts... Uh, doing exactly this. By, in verse 1, it says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, and Herod and Philip and these other guys, they were rulers of those areas. And the high priest was Ananias and... Uh, Kapo, Kapo, yep, him. Why are we being told that? We're being told that because we... These are real people. And... They're real people in a real time. You can actually go to the dates and find out when this actually happened, that we know when this was going down because these guys were there. And there's heaps of them, just in case one of them isn't clarified. They're all together in the one heap. God wants to make sure that we're crystal clear that this is real time, real place, 
Real people, real world. This happened. This ain't no fairy tale. And then we meet John, uh, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Now, last time I preached, I used an illustration and I spoke about uh, uh, these pilots. And to be honest, as I think about John, I can't actually think of any better way to actually explain this. If you're out on the Warrego Highway or anywhere west, actually heading towards any mining uh, place, you'll often be driving along and over the hill will come a pilot. Orange, not an aeroplane, but orange flashing lights coming along to say something is coming. And that type of pilot is like the prophets of the Old Testament. They're, they're pointing to something behind them that's going to, uh, or uh, you're going to run into soon, that's going to come. And we even see it in this passage, in verse 4, it says, As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of the one is calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight and rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is Isaiah, 700 years prior to this happening, making a prediction that John's going to show up to actually, what's, what's the salvation that everyone's going to see? It's Jesus. Clearly see Jesus. And so there's numbers of pilots in the Old Testament that are pointing to this. But when we get to John, he's much more like the policeman that comes over the hill. You know, you're driving along and go, oh, there's something coming. And then another pilot comes and goes, oh, something big's coming. When, a, when the policeman comes over the hill, you go, something very big's coming because they're on your side of the road. They're pointing, oh, get off the road. You're going to get run over. And that's John. And when it comes to John, you could not get anybody more straight down the line we would probably call him blunt, but not in a mean or a cruel way, but in a way that you would talk to somebody that you care for deeply about intimate danger or something that is super important that you need to know this. And so what was he being straight down the line about? Verse 3. He went into, the, he went into all the country around Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But if we were to say it in another, word, another way, we would say, you can have your, he's out there preaching, you can have your sins forgiven, you can be made right with God, if only you would repent and turn back to God, God will wash you clean. And in verse 7, he goes on here and he doesn't hold back. John says to the crowds, coming out to be baptised by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? It's not really a rally cry there, is it? Like, let's get together and go somewhere. He's actually calling people out. You know, like the, the brood of vipers. That You guys are wicked to the core. You need to be washed clean. And that goes for us too. And the answer to that question of who warned you to, uh, to flee from the coming wrath, well, through the prophets, through John, isn't it, isn't it um, God who is warning them? You see, that brood of as a brood of vipers, we've got nothing to offer. We're just wicked to the core. 
We don't bring anything to the table. But God, in his love and mercy and graciousness, he warns us, he warns them. He wants to be crystal clear here that you're in trouble if you don't hear this. Now, I want us to notice as we go through that repentance isn't going, oh, I'm sorry. Repentance should have a response in how we live. And John here calls out uh, plenty of people that want to be forgiven, but their response is so poor that it actually shows that they haven't understood and they haven't actually taken hold of what repentance is. Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. In other words, your repentance should actually be doing something in response, producing something of worth. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, some of the people are thinking that they have something to offer. They're a part of God's family and Abraham's their father, so they, they deserve to be here. But as a matter of fact, we think that way too often too, don't we? That we think we have something to offer, that we deserve this, and we don't. They didn't and we don't. This repentance that is on offer here is not something that we deserve or have any way of graining it. As you go on in uh, verse 8, it says, For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. God is able to do that with anybody. The gifts and abilities we have are given to us by God. And then verse 9. The axe is ready at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now that is blunt, isn't it? Straight to the point. Don't live thinking you've got something to offer. But live in response to the forgiveness that is given to you that can only come through the salvation in Jesus. And so the people ask a question there that I guess if we were there, we'd want to ask too. Verse 10, what should we do then, the crowd asked. And it's a good question. What should we do? What does it look like to, repent, uh, to respond to repentance? To this, respond to the forgiveness that we have as we repent. John answers, in verse 11, John answers, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some of the soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, do not exhort money and do not accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, at one level, uh, that could seem quite moralistic and you go, oh, what the heck's going on here? But if you break that down... Really what John is saying here, the first one would be love others, care about other people, you be generous. And as you do that, trust God in the same way you trust God that he has forgiven you. Or tax collectors, don't rip people off, don't be greedy. Be content with what you've got, don't gather more together so you can have comfort 
and rip people off on the way through. But trust God in how you live at that point, just as you trust God and have faith that he has forgiven you. The soldiers, don't use your position to lord it over people. Be proud, be humble and serve people. And as you do that, trust God as you should be trusting God that he has forgiven you. Remember, these things are being done at a response for the bigger thing that is happening in our life, that our sins are forgiven, that we're able to come back into relationship with God, which only God can give us. In other words, we should live lives in the same way that we trust God in that forgiveness, that we trust God in anything else that is going on around us and not trying to be selfish as we do that and pull stuff into ourselves. Now, at this point, these guys didn't have the full picture like we did. Jesus is just about to arrive, but he hasn't got there yet. And I love here in this passage how crystal clear God wants to be because John states it very clearly here for them so that they know. Verse 15 says, The people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I will baptise, I baptise with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie, will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His widowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We need to remember, John's just the policeman. He's not the important thing that's coming, or in this case, the important person who's coming. God can, uh, sorry, John can only offer water to wash as a sign of what it means to be cleaned. And we all know that water can only wash the outside of us. But Jesus, the Jesus who is coming here will be able to wash our souls, to wash to the very heart of who we are, to clean us up inside that we can be all that God has made us to be to have a relationship with God that we could never have had without Jesus coming, to wash our souls through the Holy Spirit in fire. And then, in this story, here he is. Jesus arrives on the scene, verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Again, God wants to be crystal clear here. If you had been an Israelite at that time, some of the things that were going on there should have prompted you from some of the prophecies that were going on. For example, in Isaiah 64, Isaiah in his prayer cries out to God that he would tear the skies open and come down. And he's tearing the skies open and there's Jesus. Here, um, again in Isaiah, they would know God's special person sorry, God's special person, because his spirit would come on him. And again, we see God's spirit descending on him in the form of a dove, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form 
like a dove. But just in case you didn't know the prophecies, just in case you'd never heard anything and you didn't know anything was going on, God wants to make this so crystal clear. He speaks. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There's no avoiding this in any shape or form that God is being crystal clear. This is the Messiah. God in flesh. The one you've been waiting for for hundreds of years. He's here. Through over all these years, Isaiah, 700 years, he's prophesying, he's coming, get ready. Malachi, 400 years ago, he's prophesying, get ready, he's coming. And John here is telling us he's nearly here, get ready. And da-da, he's here. Who would have thought God would have come through with his promises? You You don't have to have any doubt here at this point. I don't know uh, where you're at and whether you are, having, you are having doubts now or have been having doubts whether following God is the way to go or not. Does God even exist? Or does God love me? And I want to let you know that you're definitely not the only person that has those doubts. Like I said at the start of this talk, I've been a Christian for a very long time and I catch myself having doubts. I think... I think Satan loves that. I think he loves to whisper in our ears to say, are you sure about this? But the reality is, as we read God's word and as we've read God's word tonight, and if you just stop, step out of the picture for a minute, you've got to feel for God at this point. How clear does he have to be for us? He is being crystal clear and yet we still doubt him. Now, if you're not a Christian here tonight, can I encourage you to stop listening to the, wor- the world and to be honest, the rubbish that they talk about, uh, they say about Christianity or God the Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, it's just a fairy tale. We have God's word recorded from us, generously from God, inspired word of God, so that we might know the truth. It is 66 books. It's written by at least 60 authors, from princes to fishermen to farmers. And yet, over thousands of years as those books were written, they all mesh together to come to the climax of the story that Jesus is here, the Saviour has arrived. The chances of that being not, ha- not true is Buckley's to none. So if you want to call it a fairy tale, what we need to do is step back and actually logically think it through. You know, we're not talking about a guy in a cave having a dream and writing it down. God has used people over the years to prove that his word is true. And so if you're, you're wondering whether it's true or not, don't be lazy. Don't just take the word of the world and your friends around you that just wash it off because we are sinful to the core and we will turn our back on God every time. Actually, take God's word and read the truth because as it's been said, the truth will set you free. 
If you're a Christian here, well, we all know, I certainly know, there will be times in our lives that we'll struggle. But God wants us to know clearly that this is true. So that any time that we have doubts, we can come back to that truth and be reminded there is no better place to be. I'm reminded of a story of Jesus actually stopping and preaching to a whole bunch of people about how hard it is to follow him, which is John 6. And after he finishes, people just start leaving. It's too hard. They've given up. They're walking away. And it gets to the point that Jesus actually turns to his 12 disciples and he says to, him, says to, the, says to them, where else have we to go? Oh, sorry, he says to them, are you going to go too? Um, and Peter answers that question with what I was just about to say. Where else have we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And the truth is, if you logically think through whether or not you should believe that this Saviour came and was there and was being baptised, logically think it through. What else is on offer? Everything else is rubbish compared to the unbelievable that we are a part of God's family. We are saved. Our eternities are sorted. We're his children. And we're forgiven if we would only turn and repent. In this passage, God wants to be crystal clear that this is the saviour, the one who can and for many of us has forgiven our sins the one that we can trust our whole lives to, no matter what is going down. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. We know that we are guilty of disbelief often. Uh, and as we get older, uh, we should know better. Uh, because we have the benefit of, of time and how you've loved us through that time to know that that to be true. But Lord, we really are thankful that you have given us your word, that you are clear, that if we stop and actually think this through, how could this not be true? And so many areas of creation through to just reading the story of the great news of Jesus coming and we are thankful Lord that uh, we are able to have forgiveness through what Christ did we're thankful that Jesus came he lived he died and he rose again so that we might be able to call you father that our eternities are sorted and that we can have brothers and sisters here on earth and for eternity as well Lord, I pray for those tonight who are still trying to work this out, for those who have doubts, that you would be gracious to them and through your Holy Spirit as they read your word that you might open their eyes to know the truth and to hold tight to it. For those who have been, of us who have been Christians for a long time, that we might run the race to the end, that we may not get bitter and twisted, that we might give up on the way but that we might put our trust in you as we live our lives, 
just as we trust you that our forgiveness through Christ has happened. And so, Lord, I ask all these things in your precious Son's name, for Jesus' sake. Amen.